0: I didn't know. And I didn't think that there was any way that I could help anyone else. Like, how could I help somebody when I'm sitting there fighting the same battle that they're fighting? Even if I'm a few feet, a few chapters, a few yards, a few miles ahead, how was I going to help somebody that I was dealing with the same thing? But I really couldn't explain it. I had to help this person. I just knew that I had to help. And so that's really the epiphany. Like what happened was so amazing. I realized that I didn't have to be perfect to help someone else, that I could be imperfect and help other people. And what I figured out was that not only could I help people that were dealing with these challenges that I had, I had overcome, what I figured out is that it was a game changer for me because I got obsessed with learning how to overcome the challenges in my life so that I would be able to serve other people. What I realized is like one of the greatest gifts that I could ever give myself is to give to other people. That enjoyment, that excitement. It's like when you tell somebody that
1: to dads and dadless podcast with me your host rich this podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word up." research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma abuse neglect addictions and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you'll be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with Triumph to begin a new chapter also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Dads on Deadlifts with me, your host, Rish. Today's guest is a very special guest. I actually connected with him through a Facebook challenge, and then now we are both part of a uh, business accelerator program. But really, what he brings to the table for this podcast, for my listeners, for you guys, is I want you guys to listen to his story. His story is so impactful, and the way he says that story that won him third place in 2020. Speak Off Challenge. This episode normally would have a lot of questions and answers, but on today's episode, I think it'll be a little different. I want Garrett to start off with his speech so that you can get a glimpse of his story and understand if he had done it, you could do it too. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest for today, Garrett Poole. Garrett, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm really excited to be on here and I feel blessed and honored. So thank you for thinking of me.
1: Absolutely. So without further delay, I'm going to jump right into it, brother. You are very good at it. And I want my listeners to feel the impact and understand who are you, your way. So who is Garrett Poole?
0: Awesome. You know, I'll talk a little bit more about myself, but I want to take people back into my past and really give them an idea of who I am and and kind of what I went through. And I know there there are a lot of people with same, similar, and even way more tragic stories. And it's those people that I try to reach and and connect and help and heal and rediscover. And so I want to start back with my childhood in a place that was really scary for me. But from that place, I was able to go into, I was able to take that and move into an empowering place as an adult where now I get to serve. So uh, here we go. Boom, boom, boom. It's my dad and he's breaking down my bedroom door. I was playing with my toys when my dad pulled up to the house. My mom runs to me and says, Garrett, Garrett, your dad just pulled up. Grab your brother, grab your sisters, run to your room, lock your door, hide. I can hear my mom screaming outside my bedroom door. Stop, stop. I can hear her fighting my dad as he's trying to break down my door. As a 10-year-old boy, I'm trying to comfort my brother and my sister who are already crying. They're so confused this is my dad. Why is this happening? Suddenly I hear a crash outside my bedroom door and my mom gets quiet. Then boom, my dad flies in. The door explodes open. My mom saved us that night. And so many other nights, my mom is my hero. To be honest, I vaguely remember what happened after my dad exploded into that room. I blacked out a lot of those parts of, and a lot of those times. It was hard. It was really hard. But so many people have this story, a story of a broken, abusive home. And I didn't know as a 10-year-old, but this shaped my life and carved out a passion in, in, in my heart and rooted myself into as an adult. Growing up, having an abusive father instilled in me behaviors that I would not experience the consequence of until much later in life. my dad left when I was 12 years old and I thought things were back to normal, at least what I thought was normal. You know, we kept quiet about everything that was happening regarding the abuse. You know, nobody but a few family members knew anything about it. But what I didn't know that I found out later was that my mom's mom, my mom's dad, excuse me, was abusive. And my mom's mom did the same thing. She was quiet about it. And this quiet about it, about the abuse being passed down from mom to daughter, I knew it had to change. Like, I knew that I had to speak up. I had to do something about it. I really had no idea what kind of impact my dad's abuse was going to have on me until I went to college. You know, one thing that I said that I would never do is drink alcohol. I ended up addicted to it. After seeing what my dad did, I knew that I would never touch that stuff. But I was so wrong. My dad and both my grandfathers were alcoholics, and I did not understand the hold that this has over the men in my family. I got to the point where I was drinking every day. I fell into pills, even drugs, doing cocaine. I ended up with two DWIs. I ended up going to jail four times, all alcohol related. I vividly remember the turning point in my life. I was standing over my one-year-old son's crib. I was looking down at him and thinking about how I was probably going to be in prison by the time he was 10 years old if I kept drinking like this. I mean, just looking at the track record, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I'd already been to jail four times. These were footprints in the snow. Mm -hmm. My son was so beautiful laying there in his crib. I was so upset at what I had become an alcoholic. I knew that my son deserved better. I knew that my wife deserved better. I knew that now I never been, had been abusive towards my son or my wife. And for that, I'm very, very thankful that like that didn't happen. But the next day I completely stopped drinking. I stopped taking pills. I stopped using drugs. And now six years later, I have never picked those things back up. I stopped cold turkey And the hardest part for me wasn't the withdrawals. It was the depression that I fell into as a part of the recovery. I had to now face the things that I had been drinking away. I had not been dealing with my issues or my problems, but I had been self-medicating with the alcohol, with the pills, with the drugs. And the depression that I fell into, it was the most difficult part of the recovery process I understood what alcohol was. I understood what it did to me. I understood the effects. Same thing with the pills and the drugs. I had used them long enough where I had start to understood them. And But with the depression was a new thing. I had not experienced that. And it was harder for me to deal with than any of the alcohol, drugs, or pills. I fell into depression for several years. It wasn't until someone asked me for help that I had an epiphany. Someone was going through a similar situation that I was going through. And they asked me for help. And at that point I had been sober for about a year and I was still dealing with depression, not every day, but Mm -hmm. I was still fighting the temptations. And it was definitely a weekly thing. I was fighting depression, but at this point I was winning. I had stayed away from that life that I had fell into Mm -hmm. and that I had really given up a year ago. And even so, I just, but I still felt like I'd just gotten my feet back on the ground. I didn't know. And I didn't think that there was any way that I could help anyone else. Like, how could I help somebody when I'm sitting there fighting the same battle that they're fighting? Even if I'm a few feet, a few chapters, a few yards, a few miles ahead, how was I going to help somebody that I was dealing with the same thing? But I really couldn't explain it. I had to help this person. I just knew that I had to help. And so that's really the epiphany. Like what happened was so amazing. I realized that I didn't have to be perfect to help someone else, that I could be imperfect and help other people. And what I figured out was that not only could I help people that were dealing with these challenges that I had had overcome, what I figured out is that it was a game changer for me. Because I got obsessed with learning how to overcome the challenges in my life so that I would be able to serve other people. What I realized is like one of the greatest gifts that I could ever give myself is to give to other people. That enjoyment, that excitement, it's like when you tell somebody that they have a nice shirt or, Hey, I love those shoes you got, or, Hey man, that's a cool hat. Or that's a cool sweater. That's a cool this, or that's a cool that, or I love your truck. Like you see that smile that happens across their face and then it brings something to you. Like yeah. that joy, Like it, like you smile on the inside or on the outside. And when I figured out that when I give and when I serve, like that serves and gives back to me with the joy and the happiness that I just hadn't had in my life, I became obsessed with learning self-development and overcoming the challenges. And what I figured out is that part of the recovery process, this is one of the messages I want to make sure that I get out there to the world is that part of my recovery and part of my process of healing was helping other people heal while I was healing. Like That was so important to me because I got asked questions, I got put in positions, I got challenged. And when I got challenged and put in those positions and asked those questions, I had to come up with the answers. I had people counting on me, people that were expecting me to be the example, to lead the way. And that positive pressure pushed me into the next area of my life. And I'm just so excited to be able to take this experience that I went through and like I said, a lot of this was at just that childhood. I, I didn't realize that these things were being instilled in me. I was angry. I was violent, more so towards my other guy friends who like to be violent also. But not that that makes it okay, but nobody ever got hurt. But I didn't understand how that was going to manifest in my life as an adult. And having been able to take this and turn it around has been, it saved my life. And so I'm really excited to be able to bring this to people, talk about it and share it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I mean it's such a such a like impeccable and fascinating story and inspiring. I have a question because that's basically how I got started asking these questions to myself and as you said like it's a journey for me, it's a journey it's always been a journey for me through my pain. Do you think when you were going through all this in your life and you had seen that abuse by your dad on you guys, on your mom and you said your mom's a hero? And then when it came time for you to socialize and mingle with other boys uh, when you were young, did you feel that you wanted to express yourself but couldn't because of the pressure? Basically, I feel like our society tells boys to be strong. You know, Boys don't cry and do this, don't that. Did you feel anything of that sort? Or did you feel like you got into alcohol and drugs because that was a self-medication to cope what's going on in the or it's a com- combination of both.
0: Yeah, man, that is very insightful because I really felt I like I had to put on this persona. like I had to be quiet about it. Like I couldn't talk about it because that would expose weakness. And then that, what does that mean about me? What does that mean about my family? That it's falling apart and that my dad's abusive and he's doing these things. And how's that gonna look? And what are people gonna think about us? And absolutely, I felt a lot of pressure to be quiet, to be not speak up it wasn't even about being strong necessarily. It was about hiding it because of people's thoughts and feelings. And, and then, you know, to speak about being strong, when you start to speak about it, I felt that pressure to be strong about it, to not be vulnerable and share the places that hurt and show my emotion. Mm -hmm. But I had to share like what happened in a manly way. And it was not serving me or anybody. Nobody can connect to that because it's not, that wasn't what really happened. It was a very emotional time. Yeah. And when you don't bring that vulnerability forward, uh, your message just like, falls on deaf ears.
1: Yeah, for sure. And when did you finally feel like, now I'm hearing Garrett now, 2020, but when was it when you first finally actually started talking about it and owning up and talk to other people about this and how did you feel?
0: Well, you know, when I was 17, I had an opportunity to go and fly and see my dad. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I did that because I realized that my dad took some things away from me. I wasn't going to get back. I didn't have a man show me how to shave, which that sounds mm-hmm. maybe silly, but when all your friends are coming to school and their dads showed them how to shave and I'm like, I don't have a dad, like you already left that like really hurt. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, something tiny, like, you know, dad's going camping and shooting and fishing and like all of that stuff. What I realized, like, yes, my dad took some things away from me, but at this point it was now the ball was in my court and I was taking, I was keeping those things away from me. So in other words, My dad had started to reach out and try to reconnect with me several years later after he left, so around 15 years old, and I didn't want to connect with him. I realized that there was something missing in my life, which was a father, and he may not be able to do the things that in person that some of the other dads are doing, but you can still have a relationship. And at that point, I was the one that was holding the relationship back. I realized that my unforgiveness, my anger, my frustration, my upset with him, I was holding myself back at this point, and it was no longer him. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that it was probably around when I was 16 or 17 years old I had an opportunity to hop on a plane and go and see him and when I did that like I was shaking I was so nervous. I was so scared Like I hadn't seen him in five years and the last time that I did see him he was beating us up It was really nerve-wracking, but like I had a resolve in my heart. I had never had before Mm -hmm. I knew what I needed to do. I looked him in the eyes and I said dad I forgive you And it was like, at that moment, like I could see the tears well up in his eyes and we braced, we hugged for the first time in five years. It was one of the most heartwarming and, but also very scary Mm -hmm. uh, times that like I've had to confront somebody for something. And uh, it was kind of that around that age, I started to, started that process of my healing.
1: Wow. So, okay. So it was just about like 17 years, you said, Wow. And what started you on this journey? Of course, your experience. Of course, you vowed that okay, you want to help a family. You want you don't want any woman to go through as your mom went through. So walk us a little bit on that journey. Like, how did you get started?
0: So I started the healing process, and I didn't really realize that I could help other people heal till after till when I had that student. It was really a student when I had a student ask for help, and so. I started martial arts training when I was 18 years old. I didn't have a father figure through my teenage years. I didn't have somebody kind of how to be a man. And so when I when I went to college and I found martial arts training and I saw the martial arts instructor, I mean this dude was commanding classes of hundreds of people. Like it was impressive and he did it with style and charisma and uh, he was, you know, just this amazing leader that I'm like, wow, like I want to be like that. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's, this is it. This is the place. Like I, like, I know I can get some of the things that are missing in my life here. And so I started doing martial arts training and it was like, I dove, uh, head first into that. I didn't even finish college. Like that's how much I knew like martial arts, self-defense was going to be what I did for the rest of my life. Okay. And I'm so thankful for school. And I think that everybody should go to school. Like, I'm not saying that, but for me, I found school gave schools designed to give you your future,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: provide that future for you, provide an opportunity for you to create that future. And it did that for me, but it did it for me in a shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I was able to take that and be very successful with it. And it was inside of the martial arts school that I started to open up and be vulnerable and share some of my stories. And it was in the process of me opening up and sharing with people some of the things that I was going through that I had people come and start to open up and share with me. And when they started to open up and share with me, they started to ask me for help. And I had never helped anybody. And when they started to do that, I was very nervous and very scared, but I knew what I had done and I knew that I could help other people do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I just started to walk them through the process that I had done to start the healing process for me. And then through that, over the last 20 years, I've been able to create an entire process that can take somebody from where they have that resentment, that frustration, that unforgiveness in their heart, and that even a, a even a hatred towards the person that caused that and take them all the way to the place where they're not just back to normal, but they're rediscovering who they are, taking their life to the next level, finding their courage and their bravery. And it has so little to do with like the actual martial arts techniques that you learn. Like mm-hmm. that's not, that's a big part of it, but it's, it's a small part of the whole process if that
1: makes sense. So you basically started working on the, on the mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. So is it right to say when you said like you started uh, martial art and then you started opening up, you started becoming vulnerable, is it right to say like you started finding your tribe? Is that the best way to describe or finding your group of people where you felt that people are listening to you without judging?
0: Absolutely. So like I found my passion inside of what I was doing like, I love martial arts. Mm -hmm. Like that's a huge part of who I am. But inside of that, what I didn't realize was that my passion really lies. Like if I had an option to teach like a kickboxing class or teach a women's self-defense class, I'll teach a women's self-defense class every time. Mm. And it's like, it's nothing like, I love kickboxing. Kickboxing is amazing. Like I love jujitsu. Like I love all of that. I love MMA. Like that's what I do. But like, when it comes down to it, like where my heart is at is helping these women escape the chains of their past and empower them. And I can do that through kickboxing and I can do that through jujitsu. And I have women and and even men that have experienced abuse and they're in those classes, they're learning that stuff and they're empowering Mm -hmm. themselves. But if I can have a whole class where that's, that is everybody, that's a hundred percent of the group. It's like, man, that's it. That's where I'm at. So yeah, that answers your question.
1: Oh, no, no, it did. It did. And I think like, that's where your passion shows. And that's where I kind of follow you on social media. Of course, I know your passion for that. So tell my listeners like who had been through and I think you, I, me and you kind of discuss what this platform about helping men realize that like, if we don't start working on ourselves, uh, like you did, and unfortunately, your dad couldn't, there are so many people that couldn't, and the impression they're living on the family and the kids in the next generation. I was I was reading a book what's where they it's called Memory DNA, the trauma stays and it just gets passed on through generations. You live through it. I just want your opinion or your some learning points for people to understand, like if they're feeling that, if they know that they need to reach out, but they're not because they're afraid, they're ashamed, they're feeling guilty. I don't wanna stand up and oh my God, like my other friend's gonna ridicule me, right? Because we need to man up. (laughs) It's such a shallow word. So what will be your advice?
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. One of the things that I've realized through my journey is that I can either do my life based on course correcting on what other people think about me, or I can do my life based on what serves me and what I love and what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And like, unfortunately, I really didn't figure that out until I was in my 30s and uh, 34 now. And so it's actually like I've had so much fun in the last four years of my life, more so than I have even in my 20s, because for the first time in my life, I don't like something or if I don't want something. I just say it. Or I, yeah. or I, you know, Like I'm very respectful. I'm very tender. I'm very mm-hmm. caring. Like all of that, you can you can not do something and be super caring and respectful and tender for people. And the joy and the excitement that it's brought back into my life, it's been life changing. I went from where I felt like I love. I, I've never really called what I do working because martial. Like I get to wear pajamas all day. You know, like I'm my <laughs> gi, I'm, you know, gee, yeah, I know yeah. I'm in my gi or I'm in my rash guard and my shorts, like barefoot. I'm barefoot all day. Like I love what I do, but because I was doing it in relation to making sure that other people were happy, it was causing some unhappiness on my part, on my side.
1: Mm.
0: And when I stopped trying to make other people happy and I just started to be me, I started to be me who, what I love, what I enjoy, what you end up attracting are other people that love and enjoy the things that you love and enjoy. Yes. And so what I found out and what I figured out was that it's not that I don't want to serve these other people, it's that these other people aren't in line with my values and what I believe. And when I figured out, like, I'm trying to serve people that believe and value something else, and that's why it's causing unhappiness on my part, and I'm not able to fully serve them and make them happy, as happy as they could be. I need to release them very respectfully, tenderly, you know, with care and love. And I need to start being me because I'm going to start attracting people that are attracted right. to that. And I'm not trying to attract people that are like me, but right. there are people that are very different from me, but that have very similar core values or beliefs. Right. Right when you start doing life around other people that value and believe what you enjoy and what you like, like the joy and happiness just goes out the roof. I try to insert myself into situations where I think it's very important to have people around you that have different core values and different beliefs, but share the same purpose. And so like, in other words, I don't want people around me that are constantly saying yes, because we all value and believe the same thing. There's another part or layer to it, which is the purpose behind it. I have people on my team that believe in the purpose of our mission, but value and believe different things. But because our purpose is in line, we can have very passionate heated conversations where at the end of it, we're, we're still friends and we've learned and grew and are now doing something even better because we put our heads together.
1: Oh yeah, no, this is absolutely hundred percent, hundred percent true because I feel like when I started in this journey, I mean, like I I literally had to let go of someone even like, to be very honest, even my family members, like I had to, there's no other way I couldn't because I still talk to them, but definitely the frequency that I talk to them, um, definitely reduced because not everyone's going to come with you on your journey for sure. I was that guy like, who was like, oh, I have to show up for them all the time where I was neglecting myself and being a completely different person. How did you show up as yourself, authentic, vulnerable, emotional change your married life? Oh, wow.
0: So I've been married 10
1: years and
0: uh, we have two kids. If you don't have, uh, if you're listening, you don't have kids. They are one of the more difficult aspects in regards to doing it right. Like making sure that these kiddos grow up and have learned the skill sets to survive. But at the same time, through the difficulty, there is joy and happiness that, like, I would not trade for anything. I've had moments in my life that, like, I can I can just think of with my kids, and it just brings me tears. Like, it just like would never trade. So, but back to the marriage. To be honest, like, I'm still figuring it out mm-hmm. <laughs> after ten years. One of the things that was a reoccurring theme with us when we weren't vulnerable is we were constantly having the same arguments and fights year after year after year after year Mm -hmm. after year. And one of the things that has started to change our marriage is vulnerability is if instead of us trying to be right, instead trying to seek to understand and care and love the other person, everything changed. Mm -hmm. And so like, again, like my marriage isn't perfect but we definitely are on the same page. We're definitely working together and we're definitely moving forward. And what I'm always like looking for is like fighting is actually kind of an important part to marriage because it brings depth to the relationship Mm -hmm. and even intimacy. And so what I want to make sure is like, are we fighting about new things (laughs) and not always the same things? Because like, if I could, say anything on this topic is that if you're constantly fighting over the same thing or different versions of the same thing, the real issue is not being dealt with. There's something underlying. One of my uh, coaches always told me the issue is never the issue. Like, so whatever the issue is up here, like that's not the real issue. That's, that's a symptom of what the real issue down here is like, you can't. So so a lot of times we're dealing with the symptoms instead of dealing with the real issue underneath. It's causing the symptom. And that's not new news, but it's just something to remember because sometimes we fight about the things that are on the surface instead of looking underneath. And so for me, a kind of a measuring tool on one side, it's not the only measuring tool, but are we arguing or fighting about new things, which means that we're experiencing growth in, in this area because now we have something that is, there's a confrontation there. There's a difference of opinion or belief or value that we need to now go to work on at a new level. Like it's not ever really fun, fun, fighting or arguing, but it, the growth that comes out of it is always exciting. Too.
1: Yeah. Those difficult conversations. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah, know I used to be the one like a peacemaker. It's like, and then I will, I will keep everything bottled up. And one day, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or self-medicate basically. Right. So we did, yeah. as a dad, you have a boy and a girl, right? If I remember seeing the yes, pictures. Sir. Okay. How... Did your perspective change and what do you keep in mind every day?
0: So I love business. I love martial arts. I love working and I uh, would literally, you know, and as like I know most people do, but I, I will put in a 12 hour day and like, I will be very excited about that. When I had children, it was easy when they were young. Like I could put them on my lap and I could still work. Like they didn't know the difference of the type of attention that they were getting, and maybe they do on a deeper level, and I just don't know enough about that. But like I could play with them, bounce them on my knees, still doing work, or they're in their playpen, like the little, you know, like with all the to- not like an actual pen, but like yeah. with all the toys yeah, and yeah. stuff from the yeah. floor, and they're playing, they're having fun, all in the same room. And as they got older, I didn't adjust that, so I would still be in the room or kind of engaging halfway, but still working Mm. or my mind would be somewhere else. And like, we could go on a walk, but if I don't talk to them when we're on a walk, like the quality of the time together there is, is not much. So what I started to notice was I, I, I didn't get the early warning signs and my oldest would go talk to mommy when he needed something my wife, his mom would start coming over and go, Hey, did Stetson tell you about this? Or did he tell you about that? Or, Hey, this happened. Did he tell you about this or that? Or he was so excited. He came to me and told me about all this stuff. And I was like, no, he Mm. didn't tell me any of that. And so then the next day I go and I ask him, Hey, mommy told me this and that, this, like, tell me about that. That's so exciting. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, Mm. wow. And so then like, of course, like guilt and frustration and like, even like, so you start to get like, oh my gosh, like, what have I done? And you start to get a little depressed and like all that starts to creep in. And I'm like, no, like yeah, yeah. I'm not going back to the depression <laughs> thing, like, yeah. okay, if I feelings are just messages and if I want to get a different feeling, then, you know, this, me- this feeling is giving me a message that something needs to change.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: like, what do I want to change know, Like, okay, well, I want to change my interactions with him. So we started creating what I call daddy days and daddy mornings and daddy evenings. Mm-hmm. So every week we have a daddy morning, we have a daddy evening. And then on Saturday we have a daddy day. And like, there's other times where like this morning we was not daddy morning, but we went and got coffee and like, mm-hmm. there are other times where we're doing, we're doing little things, but there are three times where I'm dedicating very intent, very quality oriented mm-hmm. time with them. And it has changed everything. Like. Now, in in a very short time, and this was one part of it. We also sat down. And we talked about what's important with him and, and how we're going to go towards him and start to accomplish and hitting his goals and just focusing on on him as an individual. So, like, completely changed. Like, we have fantastic conversations now. He comes and talks to me. He shares things with me, just like he does with mommy, and uh, like that has brought so much joy and excitement back to me that I wouldn't trade it for anything. And what I've done is I've had to get a little bit more efficient with my work.
1: Right. uh, Right.
0: Which is great. Right.
1: No, it's, it's amazing. You said that because um, of course I'm trying to finish this program myself and a quick seven day, which is I'm trying to give away uh, because I did that myself is like, you know, when I got out of the marriage and I was just single dad and every time he would come over, then it became like it was already a project. It felt like a project at home because you know that's a completely different story. But then I started feeling like, oh, I can be the be the dad, and I'm a fun dad. So of course he would have fun. And mine is only two and a half years old, but he's way advanced than two and a half years old. By the way, uh, he talks. I mean, he can speak a full sentence. Like he has everything. Somehow he just got all of it. But what I do nowadays is I do this yes day. So it's a yes day is. It's a fun day because it pushes me to grow. So anything he's saying, of course, if it's ridiculously unsafe, then we don't do it or we tweak around it. I'm like, okay, this is your yes day. You pick a day, either Saturday or Sunday, and that's it. We do whatever. If you want to go for a hike, you want to go for balloons, you want to go for kite, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And uh, what I realized that it made me a much more patient dad. Otherwise it was more of a, Oh, I, uh, I gotta this, I gotta, I got have this call or, um, Oh, he takes a nap at exact one or two. So I need to make sure he gets his lunch. So it was all like a time-based. Yeah. And then I, and the other day also, I kind of talked to you offline by email. I realized you do the same thing. Nowadays, my weekends are all off. Like when I have, have him that, the weekend, I have him, all my work is like, there's no work. Zero. Before yeah. there will be like, okay, he's sleeping. Maybe I can do it. But I, I had seen that once I get into that mindset, even if he's taking a nap and I'm working by the time he gets up, like then I'm more diverted with the work. Yeah. Whereas I just shut it's, I just shut myself up from Friday to Sunday or Monday morning till I drop him off at his mother's place. No, I, I, I love it. I love the daddy day. And uh, so how, how often do you do it?
0: So it's three times a week. Okay. The daddy day is always on Saturday. So we we try to to devote, like, depending on like what the family's doing and stuff like that. Sometimes we change the days, but it's just a whole day of just kids. Yeah. Yeah. I let them pick what what to do. Yeah. Uh, A lot of times, you know, they kind of have found their favorites. And so, you know, more recently what we've been doing is we ride the bikes to the park. There's a splash pad. So then we, we do the splash pad. There's a uh, jungle gym right there. So we do the jungle gym and then there's hills. And for wh- whatever crazy reason, they love to run hills. And so then we start running hills <laughs> or running hills. And then we go back to the jungle gym and back to the splash pad. And then we come back home, ride bikes back home. Then we do snow cones and smoothies. And then we put on a movie and like, it's just like, I'm like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs>
1: <I'm gonna laughs> it's, bullshit, you know? Yeah, I know. No, I think like even me I'm like oh my god like initially I was like oh I've got to do but then after like first couple of months I'm like man this is really awesome it's like my my taking myself on a vacation why am I not doing this exactly and then you are also present with your with your kids so absolutely awesome Garrett thank you so much before I let you go I do have one question with your program I know you are you have a 7 day grace
0: yes challenge
1: a- is it a challenge or so there's two things. So okay. it's 7
0: 7 days of grace a self-love journey e-journal. So it's okay. a fillable e-journal that they get where I walk them through what it's like to just extend ourselves some grace and some self-love. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I have a 21-day challenge and it's a self-love journey 21-day challenge. Okay. And it's taking people into the actual program that I have in the in it's called Lady in Defense is the okay. program that I have. And in Lady in Defense, we get into that in the 21-day challenge.
1: Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to, uh, do you mind then if I add those links for people to go and search on my Absolutely. website and also on the podcast?
0: Absolutely. So right now the 21-day challenge is not available, okay. but it will be, I'll be re- running another challenge here in the next few weeks. So if somebody okay. signs or inputs their email for the seven Day uh, days of grace e-journal, then I'll automatically they will them know.
1: Yeah, yeah. 21 days. Perfect. Okay. Garrett, there's two things still left to do. I actually ask a surprise question for okay. the guest. I'm ready. Um, and then I also read a passage from one of my favorite books. So for you, my question is, what would one word Garrett Poole would describe for the mission he had undertaken?
0: Oh man, it's a great word. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, I think, encompasses I want to say love, I want to say passion. But really forgiveness, you got to forgive yourself and you got to forgive the people around you uh, that caused the pain. And it wasn't until I forgave that my journey even started.
1: Wow. I do have one question. It just a random just, just popped up. How is your relationship with your father now? Oh, that's such a great
0: question. So we talk every week, we talk every week. I just try to pour into him as much as I can. And he's in a wheelchair, like he still drinks himself like as however much he can. And there've been places where he's been in homes or healthcare centers and he still gets it in. Like, you know, he makes friends with the orderlies or whatever and they still get it in for him. But I, I, I can't control that. And I want a relationship with my dad, regardless of the choices that he's going to make, he's not hurting me or my family right now. And if he wants to drink, he can drink. I want to love on my dad and I want to have that relationship with him. And there's some there's stints where he has to get sober because he can't get any alcohol, but like I've just decided to let that go because it's not something that I can control. People mm-hmm. get to make their own choices and I get to choose if I want to have a relationship with them or not. And him drinking is not hurting anything on my end. I mean, it's maybe we could have a deeper, more meaningful relationship, but that's his choice, and I'm gonna have as deep and meaningful on my side as I can. So, but we talk every week. I love him. I'm always excited to talk with him. It's good. It's, I mean, it's as good as I think it can get.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, I Really appreciate it. Because I think like, that's one of the biggest thing that I feel people need to understand. Like you are looking out for like heart to heart, you know, I mean, no matter what you had been through, you were still able to go beyond that and found that space in your heart to say, Hey, I hear you as human beings. Yes. You I feel like we all are product of our habits. And if we don't control it, if we don't work on it, then either that becomes Garrett pool or with due respect, that becomes many of people like, just like your father, their actions, not that they, they have any control on it. So, Really appreciate it. I'm going to read uh, one of my favorite passage because this is basically not favorite passage. What I do is like, I, I, I love books. And so this is the book I was reading uh, earlier this year. And this chapter is called always love. Perfect. You know, what is a better response to an attack or a slight or something you don't like love? That's right. Love for the neighbor who won't turn down the music for the parent that let you down. For the bureaucrat who lost your paperwork, for the group that rejects you, for the critique who attacks you, the former partner who stole your business idea, the bitch or the bastard who cheated on you, love. Because as the song lyrics go, hate will get you every time. Really cool. So this is a book by Ryan Holiday. He's one of my favorite authors. So I think like this is an apt way to end this episode for today. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Garrett. Thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, my listeners getting an understanding of what uh, forgiveness and really working on yourself and go deeper and understand the behavior and a mission to serve can help all of us getting over us, our own trauma and own journey. So thank you for coming and joining us for today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: There you go, listeners. Here's the end of another episode. Hopefully you guys gained some insight. I would be posting Garrett's seven-day workshop or a journal link to the podcast. Feel free to look him up and feel free to sign. And hopefully you guys are having a great day and you guys learn something. Always remember, you are not alone. Reach out. Thank you. Until next episode. See ya. Very cool. Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out. And I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.